And I want to begin this morning by echoing something Doug has already said and say thank you for everyone for moving farther forward in the rows, even if it's because you've been forced to, because we've literally cordoned off the rows that you normally sit in. It's nice for the guy that's up front. And I think it's proof of sanctification amongst us, right? Everyone knows the farther forward you sit, the more sanctified you are. So thank you guys. But yeah, good morning, church. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor to be here with you this morning, bringing you God's word. If you don't know me, Doug did a great job of introducing me. Um, but my name is Gage, and I would, I would love to meet you if we haven't met before. And if you're new here, first of all, welcome. Uh, please come up and say hi after the service. Uh, but to give you a little bit of context about me, uh, I'm a member at the branch here, and I've had the privilege of being a member here for a number of years now. And I'm forever grateful for this body's love and care. For me and my wife, Jess, you can wave. Hi. And I treasure you all, and I, I can't wait to share from God's word with you this morning. Now to begin, I'm going to be reading this morning's passage, Psalm 124. You can turn there now, and I know we all just sat down recently, but I'll ask you all to just stand one more time as I read our passage. And as a reminder, church, we're standing as we read not out of some ritualistic practice, but we stand out of reverence as we read the very word of God. So if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. You're more than welcome to follow along with me as the text comes up on the screen behind me. I'll read. Now this is God's word, Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Now, if you would, please pray with me, and then afterwards we'll be seated. Dear Father, we come before you this morning joyful at the opportunity to worship together, fellowship together, and read your word together. I pray that as I preach this morning that the truth from your word would come forth clearly and succinctly and that it might change us. Father, please change us to look more like you. Might it also be an encouragement and a boon to tired and weary souls that might be here this morning questioning your love for them. Remind us all of your faithfulness to your promises to us and give us hope from the knowledge that our help really does rest in you. We pray all this in your name, amen. You may be seated. Now before we begin, I think it's helpful to cover a little road map of where we'll be going this morning. So up on the screen behind me should be our outline. And as you can see, we're breaking this psalm into roughly three sections. The first section is titled, If Then. That's going to cover verses 1 through 5. The next section is titled, But God. That's going to be verses 6 through 7. And lastly, we have our third section just titled, Why, which wraps us up with verse 8. And our last piece of introduction this morning is going to be covering a little bit of background so we know just how it is that we've arrived at this particular psalm today. Doug did a fantastic job a few weeks ago 
introducing the Psalms or songs of ascent, because these are songs, not just poetry. In recap, this is a collection of songs assembled for Israel as they journeyed several times a year to Jerusalem for festivals and to make sacrifices at the temple. And I'm of the conviction that this collection of songs functioned as more than just something to pass the time as they were walking. Right? In fact, I think to steal Doug's analogy, uh, just as each and every one of my Spotify playlists is a curated vibe, if you will, these songs are a curated collection meant to actually teach the people something as they sing them. Now these begin with Psalm 120, so as we arrive this morning at 124, we're kind of in the middle of this collection, right? So let's look at the ground covered so far. In 120, the first song of this collection, we've seen the woes of being a sojourner. In 121, we've seen a reminder that the Lord is our keeper. In 122, we've seen a longing for a peaceful Jerusalem. And in 123, we lament the difficulty of our current situation, but we still fix our eyes on the Lord and pray for traveling mercies. Hopefully some of that sounds familiar, right? And today, as we arrive at Psalm 124, um, hopefully you're beginning to feel the inward conflict that the Israelites are experiencing, right? You see the Israelites at the point in time that these Psalms are being assembled are either in or they're leaving exile, They've not seen a reconciled and peaceful Jerusalem yet. But this peaceful Jerusalem has, has been promised to them. So as they make this journey, I believe that these songs are meant to teach the people of Israel about how to live in this tension, right? So what is Psalm 124 adding to this? What does the psalmist want to communicate to Israel? What is he trying to teach them as they're on this journey? In addition to that, dear brother or sister, what is God communicating to us today through this psalm? So that's what we're trying to do here this morning. I long for us to understand what the author intended to leave his audience with and then see how that is both expounded and perfected in the gospel. And then have that be our takeaway today, that we may be changed to look more like Christ because of it. So what is our takeaway today? And I want to suggest to you this, friends, Remember God's faithfulness because your help is in the name of the Lord. So let me say that one more time. Remember God's faithfulness because your help is in the name of the Lord. So with that in mind, let's, let's look back at the text. Again, our first section that we're in now is titled, If Then, and it's covering verses one through five. I've titled it If Then because these verses function as kind of one large if-then statement. Hopefully you're familiar with if-then statements. For example, I'll give you one right now. If I finish this sermon quickly, then we can all go eat lunch that much more quickly, right? It consists of two clauses. The first one is a conditional clause, if I finish this sermon quickly, and it's followed by a resultant clause. Then we can go eat lunch that much more quickly. Or for my Excel nerds, this is known as the if function, right? You know where you type equals if, open parenthesis, and then you type what you want Excel to do based on whether or not your parameters are true? Uh, maybe, maybe that's not a helpful example, but. Either way, our first five, <laughs> thank you. Our first five verses are like this, so let's read them one more time with that if-then dynamic in mind. An emphasis is added here. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, 
if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Hopefully this is obvious, right? We have our conditional clause, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Then we have a whole bunch of resultant clauses. And it might seem to you like I'm belaboring a really simple point here. Uh, but I believe this is key because it's on this foundation that the whole point of our psalm is built. You see, the psalmist is giving a bunch of if-then statements that are past tense. But you didn't realize you're getting a grammar lesson this morning, but here we are. It's important. You see, the psalmist is giving us past tense so that we can know the answer. Because in my example of if I finish this sermon quickly, then we can go eat lunch that much more quickly. I used present and future tense because you can't know whether or not I'm going to finish this sermon quickly, right? So you don't know if you're going to get to eat lunch that much more quickly. But that's not the case in our psalm. Our author wants us to read through these and know the answer. You see, he's referring to actual historical events. When he's saying that the flood would have swept us away or the torrent or raging waters would have gone over us, he's calling to mind things his audience actually knew as factual history. He's calling to mind the historical events of the flood in Genesis 6 and the parting of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan River. When he says the people would have swallowed us up alive, he's referring to the dozens of times the people of Israel were facing insurmountable odds as nations sought to destroy them. And you know something about each and every one of those historical events? The Lord was on their side. He did deliver them. He was their help in times of trouble. I believe the author wants his audience to look back at all of their history and consider what would have been if the Lord was not on their side. And then to recognize the Lord's faithfulness time and time again. And Christian, as the Israelites did this, they were looking at only their physical deliverance. How much sweeter is your eternal deliverance? I encourage you, just as the psalmist is encouraging his audience, Brother or sister, look at what could have been for you. Look at your life and consider what, what could have been. Better yet, what would have been and even should have been had the Lord not chosen to save you. I know as I look at my life, I'm grieved. I look at my sin and I see how it should have consumed me. Just like the flood or the raging waters, I should have been swept away. Looking back even at my time at this church, I see my, my own sin of selfishness pulling me away from my involvement here as I prioritized what was convenient for me rather than dying to self. And this sin should have consumed me and, and should have left me with no friends and no relationships here. And yet that's not the case. As I look around this room, I see the evidence of God's deliverance from my sin in my life in the form of many dear friends here. Why? Because the Lord chose to deliver me, right? He chose to deliver me. Now, if you are here this morning and you have not rested your only hope in life and death on Christ, 
if you do not rely on his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, then these if-thens should have a different function for you. All these things that as Christians, we can look back at and say we have been saved from, you are still slave to. So take the time to consider. Take the time to consider your own sin and your own need for a God who will save you. And I would encourage you, let today be the day that you rest your hope in Christ alone. Now for the Christian, hopefully you're beginning to see our main point begin to take shape, right? Remember God's faithfulness because your help is in the name of the Lord. Let's move to our second point. After you've gotten done considering your own salvation, if you're anything like me, verses six and seven kind of explode from your chest, right? It, it can't be contained. I've looked at what could have been, and I've seen what has happened instead. And now we get to verse six. I'll read it again. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And I've titled this section, But God. Because as I read it, I'm reminded of verses like Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. You don't have to turn there. It's, it's going to come up on the screen behind me. I'll read it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. A, a pretty bleak picture, right? just as the psalmist paints a bleak picture in the first half of our psalm. But then verse four comes along. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And there are other verses like this, where after looking at the past and our sin, we turn to worship. And we make this turn with the phrase, but God. And I believe verses six and seven in our psalm function similar to this. Even though they don't say that phrase of but God, they do the same thing. We've looked backwards, and now we look at our present reality instead. The Lord has not given us over. He has freed us from the snare. And this snare imagery from our psalm here is it's so rich. You see, to the original audience, this had a more specific meaning than it, it might at face value to you or I. In their time, birds as small as sparrows, you know, which were about the size of my fist, were captured and sold at the marketplace for various purposes. And these sparrows were caught with, you guessed it, a snare. All this really was was a, a large circular net with heavy weights all around the border. And people would find a sparrow or two on the ground, perhaps feeding on some bugs, and this large net would be thrown over the top of them. And as you can imagine, these incredibly tiny birds, you know, weighed about as much as a pencil, they'd be helpless to escape. They would be utterly incapable of flinging these nets off of themselves and flying away, right? That'd be ridiculous. And as the psalmist is describing his deliverance, this is how he chooses to describe it. 
he describes Israel as the sparrow, helpless and yet freed from this snare. And Christian just says Israel was helpless to free themselves from their physical danger, so you were helpless to free yourself from the consequences of your own sin. You see, this language of snare is used a lot in Scripture, and even in the New Testament, as an image of sin. For reference, in 2 Timothy 2, 25-26, again, you can just follow along on the screen, Paul writes, talking about unbelievers, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. You know what's interesting about the snare in our psalm? Uh, We're not freed from it by merely sneaking out from under it as the Lord gingerly lifts a corner. No, the snare is broken, right? Brother or sister, the curse of sin has been destroyed for you. Though not free from all the earthly consequences of sin yet, we know that the eternal price has been paid for our sin, and sin's curse has been broken. So, I encourage you, rejoice, just as the psalmist rejoiced. He says, blessed be the Lord. And this brings us nicely to our last point, verse 8, which I've chosen to just title, Why? And verse 8 reads, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Now, why have I chosen to title verse 8, Why? Well, let's return to our main point. Our main takeaway for today, if you have nothing else from this, I want you to take home. Christian, remember God's faithfulness because your help is in the name of the Lord. You see, verse 8 kind of sums up everything that the psalm has covered and concisely gives us the why of what I think our main action should be from this psalm, right? Our main action should be remembering God's faithfulness. So why can we remember God's faithfulness? If you're here this morning, and indeed you are a Christian, then you can leave this morning knowing that your help rests not in earthly governments, not in your belongings, or your job, or your relationship, or your schooling, or anything else under the sun. But your help is in the name of the Lord, the very maker of heaven and earth. I think it's important to mention that when we say the name of the Lord, we don't mean to infer that we should think that uttering the Lord's name has some weird mystic power in and of itself. Rather, when we say we hope in the name of the Lord, we mean we hope in God himself, right? And come what will on this dangerous journey of life, this side of heaven, we know that we need not fear war or pestilence, famine or poverty, or any other woe. Because we hope in a God who has proven himself time and time again, as more than capable to carry us through all of it, right? Just as Israel could sing this psalm on their way to make sacrifices and be reminded of a God who has delivered them, brother or sister, you can read this psalm today and know that the same God who was faithful then will be faithful to you now. As I was thinking about what might be a helpful illustration for this point, I must have thought of dozens of different options, and 
And after it all, I kept coming back to this one life experience that I've had time and time again. And it's Thanksgiving with my family. I know, that's not a very seasonal example, but it's the one that I came up with. And I love Thanksgiving with my family, and I'm not just saying that because many of them are sitting here right now, this morning. Uh, I really do love Thanksgiving. And the funny thing about Thanksgiving is that we rarely do traditional food items. It usually changes every year, right? We'll have an Italian Thanksgiving, or Mediterranean Thanksgiving, or Irish Thanksgiving, or any number of different Thanksgiving food items. And yes, the, the irony of us choosing a distinctly American holiday for us to do non-American cuisines is not lost on me. But there is one thing that always stays the same every year. We will always do a, what were you thankful for this year? Question and answer time, right? Maybe some of you guys are familiar with that. Um, my family does it a little differently. You see, after we've all eaten more than we probably should, my father quiets everyone around the table and asks the question, how have you seen the Lord at work in your life this last year? And this question has resulted in some of the sweetest memories. As all of our friends and family take turns around the table, recounting the Lord's faithfulness and kindness in their lives. Young and old, everyone chips in, and we both get to look back at our own lives over the last year and contemplate God's faithfulness. And we get to hear from others how they see his faithfulness. From the little ones, we hear how they see God at work, maybe in helping them pass their math tests. From others, we may see them rejoice as God has provided them with a new child who now joins us at that table. Or perhaps we mourn as we think of God's faithfulness, even though one who used to join us at that table has now gone on to rest with Christ forever. And by nature of us doing this every year, we have seen God's faithfulness together through thick and thin. It hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows. And yet year after year, we're able to see the Lord be faithful and prove himself time and time again. And it naturally gives us hope and courage and strength for the next day and the next year to come. And in many ways, that's the function of this psalm, right? We should remember God's faithfulness. Why? Because our help is in the name of the Lord. So Christian, as you go home today, even on the drive home, when you ask your significant other or your friend or your kids what they thought of the sermon, I encourage you, take some time to recount God's faithfulness in your own life, even in the small things like math tests, but also in the most important thing, that God has been faithful to save you from the eternal consequences of your own sin. Think of what could have been and rejoice that you know that the Lord is faithful because that is not your current reality. And lastly, know that your help is in the name of the Lord. Now I'm gonna pray to end us and, and Jason is gonna come up to lead us through prayer of confession, assurance of pardon, and then communion afterwards. And I encourage you to even take our time in communion today to remember Christ's faithfulness to us on the cross and to rejoice that your help is in him. All right, let's pray.
Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us and encourages us and guides us towards what is so sweet and true about you. I pray that as we go about the rest of our Sunday and head into a new week, that your word would shape us. Father, shape us to look more like you and trust you because of the evidence we see in scripture and in our lives that you are the one true and faithful God. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.